So I was sitting in my cubicle today and I realized ever since I started working, um, every single day of my life has been worse than the day before it. So that means that every single day that you see me, that's on the worst day of my life. What about today? Is today the worst day of your life? Yeah. Wow, that's messed up. I'm sorry. Go on. Is there any way that you could sort of just sock me out so that like I, I don't know that I'm at work in here? Could I come home and think that I've been fishing all day or something? This is CNT Talk. Every week, two friends debate the issues of the ages as we agree to disagree. It's never politically correct, but it's always entertaining. Join us tonight so you can sound knowledgeable at work tomorrow. We're smacking you upside the head with a hammer of truth. Welcome to the show. Hello, hello. If you didn't catch that first part, that was from Office Space. And I'm sure there's a few people right now feeling like today is the worst day of their life and tomorrow will be worse. Uh, it's not, but you might feel that way at times. And I didn't want you to think I wasn't thinking of you. How you doing, Tony? I'm sorry. Straight. I'm forward. doing great. Today, today is not the worst day of my life. <laughs> That's good. I'm glad. I'm glad. Although, I like uh, Office Space is a classic, so it's yeah. always good to uh, always good to have a little dialogue from Office Space. Exactly. If you haven't seen the movie, why? It's it's been out for over 20 years. You should have seen it by now. But if you haven't, you should go watch it. It will give you a chuckle here and there. Uh, on many different occasions. So a lot of things happened since we last talked, Tony. I mean, it, it seems like every day it's the next greatest crisis you could possibly think of is happening. Uh, I'm not going to start with the traditional things we might be thinking about, and we will get to those. I want to start with the $1.9 billion, or is it trillion or billion? I don't remember. Trillion. Sorry. 1.9 trillion with a T check. Yeah, that's that's the proposal. It's a few trillion between friends. I guess we have a $20 trillion deficit. What's what's to adding another $2 trillion to that deficit? Uh, this seems an awful lot like uh, bread and circuses to me. Uh, a lot of, let's give you what you think you want, but we really don't have that money. Uh, I don't know where Joe Biden thinks that money's coming from, but he's trying to to goose his uh, approval rating uh, early on in the in the process, and I, frankly, I think people are tired, and some some of the politicians may go with it. I think it's ridiculous, but it's not gonna it's not gonna change your life. You're getting fourteen hundred dollars. Is that right for the average person? In this, oh, I I have no idea. Fourteen hundred, three thousand, a silk pony. Who knows? Um, the one thing we should point out is that the Republicans in Congress have been nearly, I say nearly as bad as the Democrats. Now, of course, Joe Biden is now trying to, you know, go to the moon in terms of the fiscal insanity that they want to impose. But I will say that there is no way that Republicans can defend their spending yeah. under Trump and and previously under Bush. And so I, we've talked about this before. It is a legitimate criticism for someone who is, let's say, of a more progressive bent, who believes in tax and spend to point out accurately that, you know what, I don't want to really hear a lot of whining from you supposedly 
fiscally responsible Republicans. Now, again, there's a distinction between a Republican and a conservative, as we always point out, because you people have been hemorrhaging money just as fast, not quite, but almost in the same way. And they have a legitimate point. There's nothing that can be said. Both parties are horrendously irresponsible. Uh, people just seem to have forgotten it's it's twenty trillion dollars, Chad. I know that is one hundred percent essentially of GDP. Yep. And we're just going to keep. I don't know. We're going to keep printing the the trillion dollar coins down at the mint. I don't, not really sure how this is going to work, but sooner or later, we're going to pay the piper. And the next thing that's going to happen, and I understand the Fed has held down interest rates, and there was just a paper that was written by, I think, Larry Summers and a couple other uh, sort of left-leaning economists, basically making the argument that, you know what? It just doesn't matter how much money we spend that we don't have. It just doesn't matter because we're in this sort of magical realm where there will never be any consequences. There will be. And if if Biden and the Democrats get their way on this craziness, um, you're going to start to see them, including with major inflation. Well, we talked about this last week. We have differences of opinion how to get to a place. But I... I increasingly feel as though there's certain members of our public and our congressional caucus who think there are no consequences. I can spend whatever I want. We'll just print more money. Their, their economic knowledge is that limited that they think it's simply the paper somehow gives it value because there's words printed on the paper that say it's backed by the full faith and credit of the United States government. That's not, that's not how this works, but apparently you're, you're considered something awful and to be scraped off the bottom of the shoe if you even say there should be limits. Limits exist for a reason because we have them. We are not infallible and unlimited. Well, the point is it's not even just about limits. We're so far beyond the limits. But once again, infuriatingly, they're packing in to what's supposed to be an emergency stimulus COVID relief bill all of their wish list, all of their spending spree, they want, for instance, they want to raise the federal minimum wage from seven, I think it's $7 or seven and a half, I don't know, to $15. Now, two points about this. Number one, um, that is in a vacuum, that idea, insane from a standpoint of economics. Meaning, so what you're going to do you have businesses that are about, have gone under, teetering on the verge of existence, and you're going to pass a mandate that says your labor costs, in order for you to get back in business, if that ever happens, are going to double. You'd, I mean, you'd have to be kicked in the head by a Belgian draft horse to come up with something that could possibly be worse medicine in the midst of a pandemic where you've had lockdowns and businesses are struggling just to stay open. And surprise, we've just doubled what it's going to cost you to operate. That's the first point. The second point is, what is that doing in a COVID relief bill? Well, we know what it's doing in there. The Democrats and Joe Biden understand they could never pass this ridiculous increase 
through the normal legislative means, because guess what? They couldn't even get that through when the Democrats controlled Congress under Obama, because everyone knows how absurd it is. So we're just going to tack it on. We'll allow the press to run interference and claim that those mean, wicked Republicans don't want people to get any help who are in crisis and emergency, and we'll just roll it right through. Now, It'll be interesting to see how many, I know someone like Rand Paul is going to stand up and scream about this. How many other of the Murkowskis and the Collinses and the Romneys of the world are going to say, time out, we are not supporting this. Listen, the signs aren't very good, Chad, because they already went along with the other stimulus insanity where 70% of that was not targeted to anything related to COVID, and they're doing it again. This is what enrages people. It's bad enough that we're spending money that we don't have. You could at least justify it to the American people if it was actually targeted to do what they claim it's going to do. One of the other things they're doing in here, which we've talked about, is massive bailouts already for all of the blue states who have for decades spent more than they have, all of their ridiculous tax policies, and now you and I, John Q. Taxpayer, are going to be bailing them out from all of their horrendous decisions under the fake rationalization that this is really about COVID. Mm -hmm. It is maddening. It is maddening because there doesn't doesn't seem to be a connection with reality. And, And I don't use that term lightly, but I feel like there's this mystical belief that because we're in charge, what we say is logical and makes sense. And it doesn't, it doesn't make sense when you just make pronouncements. And we talked again about it last week. You can't control the mob. You can, you can incite the mob, not using Donald Trump as an example here. You can incite the mob to do what you, to go out and destroy, but you can't satiate the mob. You, you can't give them enough. When you give them $15 an hour, they're going to want 20. When you said healthcare for all, they're going to want healthcare for all and future generations. They're going to want a, a living wage where you can just pay them to sit at home on their butts. That's what they want. And you can't give them enough. They will never be happy until you make them people go out and actually earn what they're getting. They will not be happy because they think you owe them something. They think they are owed. You, If you walk down the street right now, I don't care where you're going, everybody thinks they're owed something except the other person isn't. You know, I I should get that because I'm, I stock shelves at the supermarket. I should get $15 an hour. But that guy working at the cash register, he doesn't deserve it because he's not in here with all the people. I deserve it. Or the guy driving the delivery truck. It doesn't matter who we're talking about. It gets insane to me that nobody can see past their own needs. You know, we talk about Maslow's hierarchy of needs. We're we're at the basic children level of selfishness right now, you know, psychologically. We we think we're owed everything you could possibly give us. And people forget that money they're talking about, it's yours to begin with. They're just giving it back to you when they do this, but we don't have it to give back because we spent it on bailing out governments who didn't make good decisions, made very, very poor decisions throughout the years. We're giving it back to teachers who say, I can't go into the classroom to teach. Therefore, you need to pay me my full salary to not be in the classroom doing the job I was paid to do. We 
we we just need to stop and, and stand up. And maybe the maybe the World War II generation was the greatest generation. They sacrificed quite a bit, uh, most to say more than any other generation, to try to get to freedom. I don't feel like we have that right now. I don't feel like there's enough people in this country who will stand up and say, yeah, I, I'll go out and sacrifice. I'm not talking about rioting. I don't think that's that's not the discussion. It's I'm willing to forego something so that I can have something better down the line. The old marshmallow test. I'll give you two marshmallows if you don't eat this one in the first three minutes, I'm gone. We don't want that. We want the marshmallow now, and then we want three later when you come back. Do you agree or disagree on that? Well, yeah, but I think – absolutely. But I think the larger problem here is not about the recipients. It's about the people, uh, the political class that's doling this out. And they they understand reality. Okay, so I'm not giving them a pass. Uh, yes, generally progressives have really a very limited grasp of how economics work. Uh, they have a lot of magical thinking on that score. But this is just pure cynicism and dishonesty, meaning they know full well what they're doing. They are jamming through, as they always do, a cornucopia of all of the things that they want on their progressive wish list, sneaking it in, stapling it, attaching it to a bill that the media will trumpet as the much-needed relief for the nation. It's an emergency. It's a crisis. And good old Joe has showed up with his bag of goodies, and he's going to help you out. It's bad enough that we're continuing to spend this money, but to then lard it up with all this stuff, look, just, just be honest. Of course they won't. If you want to pass all these separate goodie bag items that are all part of your agenda, which you now have, you now have the power, then make the case to the American people and do it separately, right? Because supposedly everyone's going to like this stuff, right? Why do you need under the cover of darkness to, to include it in this bill that's supposed to be for COVID relief? And we know why. They don't want to have a legitimate debate about this. They don't want people to know. And again, where is our disgraceful media, right? Just like our friend, we're going to speak truth to power. Well, where is the article setting forth all of the things that are crammed into this wish list from Joe Biden and the Democrats that have nothing to do with COVID relief whatsoever? Where is the intrepid reporter from the New York Times? Where is Jim Acosta? The man that was almost sent to a CIA black site by Donald Trump. Where, it, where is anyone saying, gee, you keep labeling this COVID relief, but 80% of the money is not going to the American people. It's not going to businesses. It's not going to first responders or hospitals. It's going to, well, again, mandate that businesses have to spend twice as much on labor. Now, we may all agree who are on the left. This is a great thing. We think the minimum wage, right? This has been their crusade for decades. Does it really belong part of an emergency relief package? I, I, I don't think so. No one will ask those questions. And anyone who dares to say that will be crucified as the Grinch and someone who wants people to die. Essentially, that, that's always the argument. You just want people to not have benefits. You want them to die in the street, etc. So this is what you want to know why so many people showed up at the Capitol for the riots. Yes, 
Part of it is because they believe, and I think properly so, that there was a significant amount of fraud in the last election. But this is why. This lying and cynicism and spending money we don't have for things that they otherwise couldn't pass on their own, the corruption that is endemic in Washington, D.C., and I'm not limiting this just to the Democrats, it's everywhere. Our elites are out of touch. They don't tell the truth to anyone. And people look at this. They're not stupid. They've seen it and they are sick of it. Yeah. Uh, if you look at it, every adult, if this one goes through on, you know, without income reductions, $3,200. I don't know about you. Um, but $3,200 over the course of a year, uh, it's not going to cut it. not going to make a difference in my life. It might make a difference for a couple weeks. It's not going to make a difference in my life. Uh, so what you're doing, you're giving me pittance and telling me I'm supposed to like it. And it's supposed to be an awesome thing. Now, I'm going to say something controversial. And oh, for, no. I know. I know. For the 49% um, of you who don't pay federal taxes, your check should be zero. You contributed nothing. You should get nothing. Because again, it's our money. We paid in taxes to the federal government. So if you didn't pay federal taxes, you should not get a credit of federal taxes since you didn't pay them. I know Mitt Romney was probably backtracked from that from 2012 when he said it, when it's 47%. Um, but I stand by that. If you didn't pay it, I, I'm not sure why... You should expect to get it back. Now, if you want to go to the states and pay your state tax and get some of that back, that's a different discussion. Your thoughts, Tony? I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I don't think I totally agree with that. Um, I mean, you're correct to point out, because the media never mentions this, that almost half the country doesn't pay any federal income tax. But the rationale for this is not predicated on whether or not you pay taxes. It should be. Again, we've just pointed out that it's not. But the pretext is we're getting money to people in need. So I don't necessarily have a problem with providing people who are legitimately in need, who haven't paid taxes because they don't make enough money under the tax code to justify paying income tax. I don't mind them getting a benefit if it is actually targeted in an emergency scenario, if we're going to qualify this as an emergency, to the people who are in dire straits. But None of that is actually happening. And in fact, here's another perfect example, the other end of the spectrum of what you've just said. Why is anybody who, let's say, makes over a certain income threshold getting any of this money? Right? Well, isn't, the, isn't the idea that we need to target this for people who are on the very lower end of the economic spectrum, they need help, they're struggling to pay bills if they're working jobs that are no longer available to them, because unfortunately, many of the jobs that have been lost are for people that are, let's say, making less money. OK, people that are working white collar jobs, many of them are, are still good. So the point is, why are we giving this out willy nilly to and now? Maybe there is a cutoff, but I'll tell you what, the cutoff is nothing. Uh, it's, it's it's hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars where you can still receive these checks. Um, I mean, frankly, you made the point. I don't want this check. Hmm? I, I, I don't want it. I mean, the government doesn't have the money to spend. It's not going to 
sure. I mean, is it nice? You know, in, in, yeah, somebody just drops off a $3,000 check to your house. Okay, that's great. Sure, we could spend it on something or put it in savings. But the reality is, I know where it's coming from. It's my money and it's your money. It's going to have to be paid back. I don't want it. I don't need it. I don't want it. So, again, why aren't we targeting this to the people that actually need it, the small businesses? Absolutely. Um, if we're going to actually send this out, let's make it worthwhile. But we won't because that's not the point. The point is simply to make this grand gesture to spend money we don't have to hopefully have people then believe that, well, the Democratic Party, look how great they are. They just give us free stuff and free money. And so we're going to vote for them. I mean, that that's essentially the fundamental cynicism here um, because and people probably get angry with that. Our friend would get angry and say, this is this is designed to help people. How dare you? How dare you say, like, well, wait a minute. You see. I would tend to believe it was designed to help people. I would believe that motivation if I didn't actually read all the things that this money is being spent on that has nothing to do with helping people. Mm -hmm. So you expect me to believe that this is out of the goodness of their heart and how could any ogre possibly object to this? Well, because I've actually paid attention and read what the money is going to be doing. And anyone who actually looks at where all of this is being spent would scratch their head and say, gee, that doesn't really seem like it's doing what you claim it's doing because it's not intended to. It's not intended to. And if you break it down approximately, it's $5,400 per man, woman, and child. In this package alone, $1.9 trillion by 350 million people is $5,428 in some sense. We're not, you should be asking your, your Congress critters, where's the other $4,000 going? Because it isn't going to me, it's not going to my family. It's going to somebody else and some other program. And that's just this program, not the one we got in the fall for 600 and not the one previously in the spring for 1200. Where, why is all that money going to things that aren't helping you? And you pointed out, it's the $15 minimum wage. It's the other garbage that they want to throw in there. I, I think when you break it down in, into what it could be, you, you say to yourself, why, why are we giving this money out? Because it's not going to the people who it actually can help. It's going to special interests that we don't really care to help or, you know, Tom Brady. So he can buy another yacht because he got PPP money, you know, the Tom Brady, whatever. Sure. Why? I mean, you talked about, you don't want the check. I didn't want the check. The problem becomes if you don't take the check, it's going to go to some other program. It's not going to go to the people. It's going to go to the programs that we still don't want funded uh, yet again. So uh, just keep keep that in focus when we're looking at this these, this money. You don't have to agree with me that if you didn't pay federal taxes, you shouldn't get a refund. It's not a refund. You shouldn't get the stimulus money. You can agree with Tony. You can disagree with me. That's fine. The reality is we don't have it. We don't have the money that they're proposing to give to you and anything they tell you otherwise is a lie because we don't have it because businesses have been shut. Oh, and by the way, so, and wouldn't it be grand for all the people that are at the sort of entry level of the job market who are perhaps working at minimum wage jobs, it'll be really fantastic when they get their check and then. I don't know, a month after they get their check, their employer will notify them. Uh, we no longer have a job for you here because the federal government has mandated that we have to pay you twice 
what we used to pay you. And so now instead of having 30 employees, we only can carry 12. So hope that little check tides you over for a while because your job is gone. This is, again, this is a, anyone who understands economics, you cannot dictate, if you do try to dictate the price of labor, what happens, Chad? It's very easy. Doesn't work out so well for you. When those services are artificially increased in terms of their cost, guess what? The employers want less of them. Yep. Because nothing else has reduced costs on the other side. So when I've decided, based on my balance sheet, that your services are worth $8 an hour to me, and I'm happy to pay it, when someone else comes in and says, no, actually, you're going to pay $15 an hour, well, I have two choices as a business owner. I can either increase the cost of what I provide to the public by a commensurate amount, which means I'm not going to have any customers, or I'm going to eliminate all of those increases by offloading those people so that I can actually still balance my books and make a profit. This isn't that hard to understand unless you're somebody on the left who essentially engages in magical thinking. And in fact, I always make this point, Chad, hey, listen, if artificially demanding that the price of labor increases has no negative, no negative effect. Why so stingy? Why are we paying them 50 bucks an hour? Yeah. I mean, really, because that's the argument, which is it doesn't affect that. Okay. Well then again, why are we stopping at 15? Wouldn't it be better if we just gave everybody 40 bucks an hour? Just mandate that. Yeah. Well, and again, that's that, that very rudimentary understanding of economics that if you're on the, bottom wrong you're going whoa 15 dollars an hour i'll go for me i get twice as much that's great or almost twice as much but the reality is as you point out you need less you have less labor and the way that the business is going to make up for it. and you've probably seen this if you've gone to a restaurant whether you take out or otherwise prices on takeout food have gone way way up what used to cost you know ten dollars for a meal at red robin now is 14 15 dollars for the same meal and it's actually smaller the portions are smaller and you're paying more for it because they're trying to make up for not having enough money coming in that's what get passed gets passed on to the consumer and it that's a restaurant's an example but every other business that's struggling is trying to raise their their rates so that they can compensate for the lack of revenue they're trying to slash expenses everywhere they can cut them to the bone and they're going to raise prices Because as you said, they have to make up for a lack of customers, business volume, whatever. And so again, if you, if you were a wicked, if you wanted to design a poison pill Mm -hmm. and go to somebody who's coming out of a scenario where they've been locked down and their business can't function. And you thought, what is the one thing that I could do that would almost guarantee that it would be disastrous? I know let's double their labor costs. That'll be fantastic. That'll work out for everybody. And and if if you think I'm kidding, if you reduce the number of jobs, that means you reduce the amount of money circulating in the economy, which means other businesses who aren't necessarily food service providers start to start to fail because people aren't coming in because they don't have the money to spend. It's a vicious cycle. We've talked about it before. It's a vicious cycle that is going to end poorly in the long run. And again, it's a it's a very misunderstanding. Larry Summers included. I don't care what Larry Summers thinks of Larry Summers, but he was Obama's economic chief. Uh, so that should tell you something right there. Uh, the man who never saw a dollar he couldn't spend that wasn't his. So let me 
slide on to something else and probably what you're expecting us to start with. Um, Donald Trump has now ignominiously, oh, I'm sorry, didn't say that right. Ignominity now. Ignominiously, Chad. Is that what you're trying to say? I think I'm trying to say that. Thank you for correcting me, Tony. Uh, he is now the only president to be impeached twice. Now, again, to remind those at home who are slow learners, impeachment doesn't mean removal from office. Okay. It is also not a criminal offense, regardless of what you might hear in the media. Uh, Nancy Pelosi would like you to believe this is to remove the evil Donald Trump. Ironically, she still hasn't sent the articles of impeachment to the Senate, and it wouldn't matter if she did because they're not in session and couldn't act upon it until he's not even in, in the presidency. So, again, this shows the political nature of this impeachment, as it did the first one, because she held that one for a month. So if she truly wanted to get rid of Donald Trump, you would think she would rush that impeachment article over to the Senate to get that sucker started right away. But she didn't, and she hasn't this one. So this is about politically trying to calculate how to keep Donald Trump away. Now, I think prior to the Capitol uh, storming, and I'll get to that in a second, I think Donald Trump might have had a legitimate concern that he might run in 2024. I don't know, looking at today's landscape, if that's even realistically, even remotely possible. Um, I, I think he has tarnished himself to the point where he's he's somebody you're not really going to want to associate with. I don't see him running in 2024 with any degree of success, even if he throws his hat in the ring. You agree or not? Tony? No, I completely disagree. Oh, okay. Um, if your point is that what's happened in the last couple of weeks, and we'll talk about the the riots at the Capitol, has somehow rendered him an unperson. I don't have any sense of that in terms of the, the core constituency that support him. Um, and four years is a very long time. Sure is. Yes. So I, I don't think that he's necessary. Now look, they're going to hound him relentlessly. The minute he becomes a private citizen, this is going to be, um, a constant volley of lawsuits. They're going to try to throw him in jail for something else. You're going to have, you know, the attorney general of New York suing him criminally. You're going to have civil suits brought out the wazoo against him and his family. I mean, they, they are out to destroy him. Uh, but I don't agree that anything that's happened here has eliminated his ability to be a major player come 2024, which is, of course, the Democrats' worst nightmare. So, you know, we'll have to see how that unfolds. Um, as far as this impeachment itself, like many other things, what the Democrats have now managed to do is render impeachment uh, a complete irrelevancy. In other words, they have now created a scenario where impeachment, which is supposed to be sort of the nuclear bomb of our constitutional system that the framers inserted to allow the removal of a president for high crimes and misdemeanors, sort of the worst possible conduct. Can you even explain what he's being impeached for, Chad? Oh, I mean, I, let, let me let, let me explain. I understand the theory. Okay, sure. the theory is that all of his Trump maniacs showed up at the Capitol and in D.C. And Trump's uh, what's the word? He incited he incited the violence, and the riots happened. Now, my question is, 
I keep hearing this from the media. He's in sight of the violence. Our friend keeps saying that. Guess what? We actually have a transcript. Uh, he was on video, I believe. Um, yes, and we have a written transcript and an audio transcript of every single word that Donald Trump said. Now, you can say, and I said this last week, I think Trump's behavior probably over the last month uh, has been disgraceful yeah. on many different levels. Uh, and not only disgraceful, but very, very self-destructive, not only to him, but sort of t for the political prospects of his party. So I don't have a problem if you want to say what he did was irresponsible. Um, he's, you know, continuing to say that he won in a landslide, continuing to say the election was stolen. He shouldn't be saying those things, although we've also discussed the fact that I believe uh, that there is substantial. I don't believe I know because I've read it. There is a substantial amount of evidence that there was fraud everywhere in this election. Did it swing the election? Nobody knows because it hasn't been proven. But the point is, I want someone in the media or our friend to show me the excerpt or excerpts from Donald Trump's speech where he allegedly incited violence. So it I, should be relatively simple. It should be, but it, it doesn't exist, so they can't show you. I want to take – I like to bring – horse's mouth and USA Today would say these are taken out of context, but I don't really care what the USA Today says because they're full of crap. This is Cory Booker in 2018. Before I end, that's my call to action here. Please don't just come here today and then go home. Go to the hill today. Get up and please get up in the face of some Congress people. Uh, and, and not to forget, uh, wingman holder it is time for us as democrats to be as tough as they are to be as dedicated as they are to be as committed as they are michelle always says michelle obama i love her you know she and my wife like really tight um which always scares me and barack but michelle always says that you know when they go low we go high. no no when they go low we kick That was a Stacey Abrams rally. Um, well, you could, I mean, you could do that for an hour. You could, you could, you, you could pull the Obama when they bring a knife, we bring a gun. You yeah. could, I mean, it's incessant. The, the rhetoric, the inciting rhetoric that we have heard for the last four years from every corner. Like I said, you, we could literally probably, if we actually ran an audio loop of this, it would be about an hour's worth of stuff. Actually, uh, Kamala Harris saying, we're not going to stop. We're going to keep going. It, Nancy Pelosi has said similar things. I mean, there is. So, again. You don't have to like what Donald Trump said. No, you, you, you can think that it's irresponsible and reckless because there were people there that were all fired up and he should have known. I, I'm fine with that. We're talking about impeachment. They have reduced impeachment to essentially uh, just a, a tool that they use anytime that Donald Trump says something that they don't like. So they've made, honestly, a farce out of the impeachment process. By the way, how long did it take them to pass the articles? I mean, normally, right, you know, the House delivered. No, no, they already had these drafted up and ready to go. Yeah. So it's a joke. It it's is. It's a joke. And I... I don't want to hear. I see there's a lot of people sort of on the Republican side now. 
that are scurrying to kind of curry favor with the media now. And, oh, they're all upset about this. Listen, I'm fine if you detest Donald Trump. I'm fine if you think that Donald Trump um, is the reason that riot happened. Although I happen to believe that the facts on the ground suggest he's not really the reason that happened because there's now a lot of evidence that many of these things were pre-planned. But even if you think that, you actually are going to vote for impeachment? Again, stand up and explain not using generalities because guess what? It used to be that words matter. Language matters. What you said, what came out of your mouth actually matters. Show me the words that you are claiming justify the imposition, the conviction of a high crime and misdemeanor. And if it's just his tone was terrible and he knew there was people there that were upset and something bad could have happened and it did happen, that is a ridiculous position to take. Ridiculous. I want to read some we, we talked about as as Christians, some of the things we should be looking at and and how we deal with this. Uh, I want to read a quote here from um, Amer- the American Spectator, written by, uh, let's see, Larry Alex Taunton. Okay. And the title of the article is The Salt Has Lost Its Savor, The Woke Church and the Undoing of America. And, and this paragraph struck me um, quite a bit. So let me pull it up here. He said, this is because evangelicals in the English-speaking world have confused Christ's command to love others with being civil as if, there were an, as if that were an attribute of God. It isn't. As a consequence, a superficial, self-righteous, good-for-nothing pietism that prefers tone to truth and style to substance has di- displaced authentic Christianity in many of the roughly 400,000 churches in America. This doctrinal malpractice has given us a generation of men, Christian and otherwise, who are what Lewis called, C.S. Lewis, men without chests. Uh, there's another article that I think also brings this up. Um, and this is uh, Natasha Crane, Christian shaming Christians over voting for Trump. It's one thing to say, as a Christian, I didn't support Trump because fill in the blank with disagreements regarding his character or the party platform. But it's entirely another thing to mischaracterize why Christians did vote for Trump and then attempt to make them that into a shameful thing. Not only is that uncharitable between brothers and sisters in Christ, but it fuels the flames of the resentment non-believers have towards politically conservative Christians. When a person mischaracterizes another position, another's position on something in order to attack it, that's called a straw man fallacy. And there's a lot of straw man straw manning going on right now. She goes on to detail three of them. Hmm, sounds uh, like our friend should read that article. It did. So I, I want to pull two headlines he wrote in the last seven days. Uh, and this one we referenced last week. About 60 of the 138 House members who objected to Electoral College count were evangelical Christians. That was from John Fia, his headline of um, January 9th, 2021. On January 14th, he wrote, Franklin Graham shames the 10 Republicans who voted to impeach Trump. That was on the 14th, again, John Fia, uh, January 14th, 2021. So in both cases, it's okay for him to call out the 60 of the 138 House members but if Franklin Graham says anything, well, that's shaming. Shaming for for me, but not for thee. Um, <laughs> the, and I don't listen. I, I really don't want to turn this into a focus on him oh. because but, but he is. Here's the thing. He is reflective of exactly the mindset that you were describing in those quotes, this sort of uh, 
this sanctimonious calling out again it i'm perfectly fine within the christian church we should have these kind of debates we should discuss uh why we believe certain policies are consistent with scripture uh why we support them or why we believe it's wrong to support them a good example of this we've talked about this is wayne grudem and john piper who are very good friends who have come to very different positions on Donald Trump in this election, and yet they have done this civilly with respect. Uh, they remain good friends. It was not acrimonious. That's what we should be able to do. But whatever that quote was that you said, it makes the perfect point, which is when you move from that realm to telling other Christians that their political choices are illegitimate that they undermine their witness. And yes, you're supposed to be stigmatized and shamed for how you have voted. In fact, our friend goes so far as to say any terrible thing that happens when your president is in office, you're now responsible for essentially the actions of, in many cases, crazy people. He would never, he would never consider applying that same a framework to anyone who voted for Barack Obama, to anyone who supports Bernie Sanders. We pointed out, apparently all Bernie Sanders voters are responsible for the attempted assassination of all the Republican members of Congress by James Hodgkinson. And we could go down the list. It's only a one-way ratchet, okay? But I did want to mention one other thing that our friend wrote, which actually I think might be the most disgraceful thing that he has written on his blog. And I don't say that lightly. He wrote a post and I don't have it in front of me. That's a high bar. I just want to say that's a high bar. But he wrote a post about, and the headline was essentially, he was attacking Eric Metaxas and he can't stand Eric Metaxas. And, and look, I think some of the things that Eric Metaxas has said recently are a little out there. Um, I don't know, obviously, Eric Metaxas, but he and Fia have gotten into it before. But he claimed Eric Metaxas participated in something called like the global call to prayer uh, that happened last week. And I think I didn't watch the whole thing, but essentially my sense of it is there's a bunch of different evangelicals and perhaps uh, people that are not evangelical that are sort of praying for the United States, probably praying for the world. A lot of it was focused on uh, you know, they want Trump to win the election. They want God to intervene, et cetera. And we can we could, you know, we could talk all about whether that's legitimate or not. But during Metaxas's prayer, and I encourage people, if you can find this, to listen to it. He basically prayed that he was making the case that Christians are on the verge of facing uh, some really significant persecution in this country. And we can debate whether that's a term that should be used when we live in the Western world, because I've said before, most Christians that live in America have no concept of what persecution actually means. Nevertheless, there are definitely winds blowing here with the ascendancy of the cultural left where, yes, there's there's going to be attempts, we've seen it already, to silence speech. There may be efforts to go after churches for tax-exempt status. Call that what you will. Metaxas was re- referring to it as sort of some coming persecution. And in his prayer, he referenced the uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer And those like him in Germany essentially said, you know, I pray that we have the kind of courage that those people would have had courage even unto death in terms of what they would be facing under the Nazi regime. Now, you may think that's overheated in terms of the comparison. I don't think he meant to suggest that the U.S. is in the same position. But nevertheless, our friend 
in his headline and in his article distorted that into Metaxas calling Christians to martyr themselves. Essentially, uh, and the headline was something, let's hope extremist conservative evangelicals do not heed Eric Metaxas's call to martyrdom. I think that's almost exactly what the headline was. He says, let's pray that on January 21st, 2021, conservative evangelical extremists don't act on Eric Metaxas's prayer for martyrdom. That's pretty close. Okay. I think that is one of the most dishonest things that I have ever read coming from someone who claims to be a Christian. And I'm sorry, but anyone who listens to that tape and tries to say that Eric Metaxas was calling people to martyrdom is lying flat out lying about what he said. There is no good faith interpretation of that to reach that conclusion. Now, you may say, I think it was overblown. I think the the analogy to Bonhoeffer in Nazi Germany is ridiculous. We don't face that. He was not suggesting that Christians should be lining up to martyr themselves in the service of Donald Trump. And saying otherwise is patently dishonest. The second thing is, I also love how I don't think John Fia has ever typed the words extremist and attached them to anyone else, and yet he's going to suggest that there are evangelical Christians who are what? Apparently ready to go drive a truck bomb into the Capitol? I just think that that was an that was an incredibly disgraceful and indes- indefensible distortion of what Metaxas said, and I will stand by that. I have respect for John Fia as a historian. I respect the fact that he believes that he is following his faith in opposing Donald Trump, but his characterization of that and the way that he framed it is a disgrace. I can't I can't agree with you more. Um in what he's characterizing. I, I think it comes back to something we talked about months ago, that if you take away the personage saying the words, it changes the reaction to certain people about those words. So if we put the words of Metaxas into Raphael Warnock's mouth, does John Fia now say that's great leadership? But because he does not like Metaxas for his own reasons, and maybe they're valid and maybe they aren't, does that make it a different, you know, the messenger gets gets the, uh, the abuse simply because he's the messenger and not because uh, it's actually a bad thing to say. I, I think we're, we're constantly called to sacrifice um, for the kingdom. And I, and I don't know that, that's really being portrayed this way. And I think Eric Metaxas is shown on video punching somebody outside of a Trump rally. That, that's uncalled for. That, that should not have happened, and he should have been uh, held accountable for that. And I think that's where Fia gives some of his vitriol, and he's had other interactions with him, so I won't say that's the only reason. But I agree with you. that it, uh, You have a higher estimation of his historical abilities i have less and that's my personal opinion we don't have to agree on that uh so i won't i'm not going to give him the praise of being a, a a good historian i think he's a failed historian but that's again my personal opinion not yours and you can tell your wife we've disagreed on this <laughs> so she can be yeah. happy with you on something i i i understand where you're coming from and i think it is it's disingenuous uh 
Uh, and I, if we think about this for a while, well, it's dis- it's disingenuous in the extreme. Okay. Yeah. And and this is this is a fellow Christian. Okay. Metaxas is a Christian, and I, I'm sorry. It is the amount of bad faith that would have been required to write that headline. When you claim that someone is calling people to martyrdom, that is a you better have the goods to back up that kind of charge. Okay, because what he's really claiming is that Metaxas essentially said, I want people to go and die. Okay. Yeah. However, by whatever method, take your AK 47, strap your satchel of explosives on your back, right? Engage in your evangelical jihad. That is entirely false. And again, there is no way that anyone who listens to that, who had, who made any attempt, to be fair-minded or accurate about what was said could conclude that that was what was intended or meant. It's, it's just absurd. And the further thing is, the point that you made in the quote earlier about, I think it was from Cain, that said, these are people who are feeding into the worst stereotypes of the evangelical church by calling out other believers. So, so our friend John Fia says, let's just hope that one of those extremist conservative evangelicals. Now, again, I don't think John Fia has ever written the words extremist Muslim. I don't think he's ever written those words. So we're now going to portray the possibility. You know, you got a lot of wackos in that evangelical church, those snake handlers, those fundamentalists. Man, they might pack a school bus with some C4, drive it into the Capitol. That is an irresponsible thing to say. Is there any recent historical basis? Now, he may say, oh, of course, anyone who's white, right, who's a Dylan Roof, right? That's an example of an evangelical extremist. Well, what usually happens there is when you parse through what these people actually believe, it turns out they're mostly just crazy and their beliefs are all over the place. But the idea that it's it's conceivable based on what historical precedent that there's just a bunch of ululating jihadist conservative extremists just waiting to go off because Eric Metaxas prayed this prayer again it's it's just disgraceful it really is it is and I I think you can hide behind well I didn't think that would happen but these are the same people saying. You should have known Donald Trump would incite violence, even though, as you pointed out earlier, there's nothing in his speech. It actually said, go peacefully and stand outside and let them hear your voice. But that's somehow inciting violence. These are yeah, well, the whole thing about, oh, I didn't think that was going to happen. No, 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 no. Because he's actually playing the game. You know, let's hope. Let's hope. Do you remember Paul Reiser, the comedian yep. Paul Reiser? Yep. He used to do a routine where he would say, I'm not saying, I'm just saying. Yeah, that's the let's hope thing, right? Oh, oh I'm not saying cons- crazy conservative evangelicals are going to, you know, try to blow up the Capitol. I, I, I'm just saying, right? Yeah. That, yeah. that No, no. He, he can't. His clear intention was to leave the impression that Eric Metaxas called people to martyr themselves. And that was a disturbingly likely possibility given all of those sort of unhinged evangelicals that are running around out there. Just a, just a really, really terrible um, distortion of what Metaxas said. And I'm, I think Metaxas is fair game. 
Sure. You can you can have at him all you want about the things that he said about Trump and how he's aligned himself with Trump and some of his prophetic stuff that I think is very goofy. But that is beyond the pale what he did there. Well, and I think that's. You're you're kind of pointing some crazies in one direction, and and I want to play a Jake Tapper clip, and I know you think Jake Tapper is one of the better of the mainstream well no i actually have uh since revised my opinion of mr tapper given given let's say the last year of his commentary and i know what you're going to play here so go ahead let me play this and we can talk about it congressman brian mast Mm -hmm. a republican from florida who lost his legs by the way fighting for democracy abroad Mm -hmm. although i don't know what is i don't know about his commitment to it here in the united states he said did anybody say that Yes. Yeah, we heard him. Yeah. The answer is yes. Yes, yes. <laughs> so they're talking about Trump inciting violence, which. Oh, well, wait. So they heard him? Well, yeah, they heard something that didn't happen because. Right. Did anyone actually, did that clip go on where instead of them all saying yes, 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 they actually cited what he said because no. he didn't say anything about violence. He just didn't. No. You, you wish. I encourage anyone who's listening to this podcast, send us. Send us the transcript is readily available and the video. If I'm wrong about this, because I actually read the whole transcript. Yeah. Send me anything that says you should go there and be violent. You should go there and get in people's faces. Anything that even implies violence that you believe, send it to us. I'll be happy to parse it. So I love that received wisdom in that group. Like, oh, yes, we heard it. We heard it. Where? Yeah, you didn't hear what was said. So the. That wasn't really so much about what Trump was saying. It was more about what Jake Tapper said. Oh, yeah. This was a representative in Congress who lost both legs fighting for us. And Jake Tapper is questioning his commitment to democracy. Now, again, we are not a democracy. Stop saying it. It's not true. We've never been a democracy. But for lack of a better term, that's what we'll use for this discussion. You're you're saying a man who gave up part of his body for defense of this country might have a commitment issue to democracy. But Jake Tapper, who sacrificed absolutely nothing to do anything, is much more in favor of uh, supporting this country. What? And then he doubled down because, you know, Mass called him out on Twitter and Papper doubled down and said, well, I stand by what I said. I was, are you kidding me? You say with a straight face, this is, this ties into the, the fear thing. This is what you portray. This is what you tell people. And they have eyes. Literally, they can look at this man's lack of limbs and say, huh, what? And you're going to get some crazies. Unfortunately, we're going to go, I think I need to do something about that because the dog was barking and I heard voices. Those things happen. You are causing a situation where people are going to react. We talked about it last week. 75 million people voted for Donald Trump. If you dismiss 75 million people, which was about half of the electorate, a little less than half, and tell them you're worthless, you're crazy, and you don't matter, in that 75 million, you might find five or 600 who want to come in and maybe talk about that in a forceful manner in your house of business. Uh, oh, by the way, the Capitol Police number 2,000 members. There were no more than a couple hundred 
rioters. 2,000 policemen should have been able to handle five or 600 rioters. That's one thing. The second thing is that's the 19th largest police force in the country, bigger than Baltimore, Milwaukee, and I think it was some other city in the Midwest. That's crazy to me. That, that is crazy to me that, that it's that large and they still couldn't stop these people. But the whole point comes down to you cannot continue to demonize your constituents. And if you're Jake Tapper, your constituents are the country. Oh, no, they're you, not. You're not. Well, you might think that, but it's true. Because people clip those clips. We have YouTube. The, main, the mainstream media, the Jake Tappers of the world, have, have long since decided that their only constituency are essentially the progressive Americans that agree with them. And, and actually I was reading an interesting piece about that, um, that because the way that news is now consumed and monetized, there really is no incentive for the CNNs and the New York times and the Washington posts of the world to actually view the country, the entire country as their constituency. Number one, They've long since abandoned the idea that what they're to do is report facts neutrally and allow people to decide for themselves how they feel about them. Their, their new mission is to tell people what to think. And when you're engaged in telling people what to think, you also have to make sure that they don't hear certain facts and ideas that may cause them to think incorrectly. That's one of the things. But the other thing is, is that they recognize that, for instance, the New York Times in order for them to now make money, they have to appeal to their core constituency, which is far-left progressives. And if they don't make them happy, if they don't tailor their stories and their opinions to what these people want to hear, these people get angry and then they lose money because they lose customers. And so the entire news cycle is now driven not by a desire to report the truth or for nuance or two sides to a story, it's to feed narratives to a small, or perhaps not so small, half the country that want to hear very specific things. And what they want to hear is that our political enemy, Donald Trump, Republicans, conservatives, uh, are wicked and evil and must be defeated at any cost. Now, I will say this goes both ways, okay? So this polarization works from the right as well, but the right doesn't control 95% of the media. <laughs> the only conservative, quote unquote, conservative media outlets that you can even find, okay, you've got Fox News, and we've talked about the fact that Fox, let's, I mean, listen, Fox News on the news side is no longer at all close to being conservative. And anyone who thinks that that's ridiculous, go listen to Chris Wallace, okay? there, There's prop, Brett Baer, He's probably straight down the line, but their news division is not shilling for Republicans and conservatives. Yes. Do they still have a lineup of opinion hosts, Tucker Carlson, Sean Hannity, Laura Ingram? Yes. Those people are all conservative and they make no bones about it. But OK, so you've got Fox News. What else do you have in the media landscape? You've got AM radio with Rush. You've probably got uh, National Review who hates Trump. And then you've got you know, a few outliers. Meanwhile, NBC, ABC, CBS, CNN, MSNBC, PBS, NPR, Washington Post, New York Times, LA Times, Chicago Sun, go on and on and on. New York Daily News. Oh, you have the New York Post on the conservative side. So the point is that this model now 
that ex- is exemplified by the Jake Tappers of the world, there it's not surprising that he doubled down because he's not interested in defending himself to the half of America that realizes, well, that's a that's a grotesque thing for you to say. He doesn't care. All he wants is blue check marks from the people that he knows form his audience on Twitter. And as long as he satisfies them, he's going to thumb his nose at the other half of the country. And that's exactly the model for the entire, the entirety of the mainstream media. So I'm glad you brought up Twitter. Um, they're my favorite punching bag, Jack Dorsey. Uh, what you Stoner say? Saruman, as I call him. Stoner Saruman. Uh, he came out this week and basically said, I think it was the right thing to do to ban Trump. Uh, we, as we were talking last week, Parler was about to be removed from the Apple store and um, the app store and had already been moved by Google. Uh, the next day they were taken off Amazon web services. So they had, they're still off as of today. Uh, Which means they're basically not on the internet. They don't exist on the internet because Amazon has like, I think it's, 52% of all yeah, web- just so people understand that the first salvo was you actually can't access their app on right. Apple and um, Google, right? Yeah. Yeah. So was- that's bad enough. But when you lose the web hosting service of Amazon, you don't exist. Yeah. You're, you're on to, you're trying to find some small party that will put you back on and hopefully don't anger the gods of it, the internet. Uh, so they're, they're off the, off the internet currently and may never come back. Uh, somebody on the left decided to archive all those tweets. So again, they could make a list and go after people long-term who had made comments uh, on the system because apparently the security was not as robust as it probably should have been. And there were GPS coordinates with those tweets or parlors, sorry, parlays. Uh, so anyway, that, that gets done. Um, that That's horrendous on all levels because I think we were told many times, if you don't like Twitter and Facebook, yeah. make your own, except we're not going to let you make your own because, you know, we don't want you to have a voice. We just want you to act like you have a voice, but do it quietly so we don't have to hear you. So that that all came out. Dorsey says, ah, you know, I think it was probably the right thing to do. I, I wish I hadn't come to that, but it's the right thing to do. On the 12th, which was Tuesday, Twitter comes out and says, and this is not a joke. Ahead of the Ugandan election, we're hearing reports that the internet service providers are being ordered to block social media and messaging apps. We strongly condemn internet shutdowns that are hugely harmful, violate basic human rights, and the principles of the open internet. This is Twitter condemning shutdowns and blocking people from the internet. Wow. Do you think, do you think Chad, that maybe, maybe they really don't care? at this point that we know that they're lying. Oh, here's another, like, they're not even, they're not even attempting no. again. They're Jack Dorsey is laughing in your face. Okay. Jack Dorsey, Jeff Bezos, they don't care that everyone knows that what they just said is a flat out laughable, ludicrous lie yeah. because their yeah. attitude now is what are you going to do about it? Yeah. Nothing. You're not going to do anything. We have the ability to take down Parler, coordinate together in a clear antitrust operation because that was coordinated, Mm -hmm. and we're going to remove them. Why? Well, because we hate Donald Trump and we hate people that support him. And also, by the way, that's a competitor of ours, and we have the ability to make them vanish. They're just, they don't exist in the marketplace anymore. They're gone. 
this is also Twitter public policy, blue check mark means it's verified. Access to information and freedom of expression, including the public conversation on Twitter, is never more important than during democratic processes, particularly elections. Really? Really? Okay, sure. The emperor is wearing a cloak of the finest spun gold, Chad. He is not naked. He really isn't. I know that he looks like it, but your eyes are deceiving you. Jack Dorsey says the emperor is resplendent. Yes. That's what's going on. So I said in, in my blurb on the website, there is some upside to this. And, and I talked about it a little bit last week. Everything that's going to happen over the next four years could be horrendous. But at no point will you be able to blame the Republicans for it. And, and I'm not saying Republicans wouldn't go along with some of it. This is going to be a Democratic-led mass suicide of economic policies. I don't mean mass suicide in the sense that you think, but economic policies and direction as country. We are going to be led by people who do not know what they're doing. A president for 47 years of public service didn't know what he was doing when he was in public service. He's not going to know what he's doing now, and he's retreading all of the leftover turds from Obama's administration. He's repolishing them up and shoving them back in front of me, saying, look at, look at what I got. But Chad, but Chad, he, he's a moderate. Yes. Don't uh, you know? He was a moderate, Chad. He might be a moderate in his basement. But in reality, he's a progressive. Well, what I love, I love this. And our friend repeated that mantra the other day, you know, uh, a Christian moderate in the White House. Mm. And again, it's one of these labels that anytime anyone ever says that Joe Biden or Kamala Harris or, you know, Hillary Clinton is a moderate. They never actually talk about the policies that they support, which make them moderate. It's just, oh, they're moderate. Like, oh. Are they moderate on abortion? Well, no. Are they moderate on energy? Well, no. Are they moderate on economic? No. Are they moderate on? Well, no. Um, actually, it seems like they support all the same policies of the people who aren't very moderate, like everyone in the Democratic Party. So, again, this this idea that Joe Biden, oh, he's he's going to govern from the center. He wants unity. Did you see? We should talk about this very quickly. Did you see the woman that he appointed to the uh, it's going to be the head of the civil rights division of the Department of Justice? I think her, her name is Kristen Clark. Mm-hmm. I would encourage people to um, to look up Miss Clark uh, if you can find it. I'm sure it's actually difficult to find this. Uh, there's been some articles oh, on they're doing a whole series on Powerline on this lady and some of her past comments. I will I will share with you the, the one thing. And of course, you know, this was when she was a student. And of course, her views. Oh, they haven't changed at all, but that's OK. Um, Miss Clark is on record as saying, as saying that African Americans are superior physically, mentally, and spiritually because of their melanin content. They have more, makes them mm-hmm. better. Mm-hmm. Now, um, the, what I, my reaction to that was, well, gee, you know, that sounds exactly what the grand cyclops of the clan would say about African Americans, except he would say the melanin content makes them inferior. So it's exactly the same analysis. It's just, they've reached different conclusions, but it's good to know that the head of the civil rights division is basically adopting the same critical thinking about race as someone who is a Klansman. Yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a good, 
good pick on his part. Um, let's hope he, she's ineffective at all turns. Uh, and this is a mod. This is a moderate. He, this is a very moderate appointment sure. by moderate Joe Biden. But I think there's a, there's positives to come. Uh, but I think they're going to be. You're going to have to look hard for them. Wait, uh, there's positives to come. What are, what are the positives to come? I don't. I can't predict the future, but I think there's going to be some positives that come out of. I think. What I think is coming from from my perspective, and this is just my perspective, I think the masks have been tossed aside. I think the the unbiased bias is no longer un, even trying to remotely say that I'm unbiased. The, the media is biased. The politicians are biased. They have nothing but contempt for even their own people. If you are not in the elite, they don't care what you think. They only care if you can give them money. So my proposal is if they lie to you, vote for the other person. I don't care if it's a Democrat or Republican. Vote for the other person. If they've lied to you, they shouldn't be there. If you don't give them money and nobody else gives them money, they won't win re-election because they won't be able to advertise to get that. Now, that has a flaw, obviously. Corporations give enough money and the other person doesn't get any, then they're still going to get elected. But I think we should stop funding these people. Well, can, here, here's the other flaw, though. Yeah. How, how are you going to find out? How are you going to find out they're lying to you? They're alive. That, well, no. yeah, exactly. But the point is, the point is that you can't even rely. That That's part of the problem is that the media has become such a propaganda machine that, for instance, it's just I, I could do a thousand of these. So what most people knew and were told in the run up to the election about the Hunter Biden laptop, we'll just use that as an example, mm -hmm. is that. Number one, uh, that was false information. And in fact, specifically, we were told this by people as high ranking as good old John Brennan. Remember, John? <laughs> um, all the media outlets, all in unison, said, not only is this not accurate, it's Russian disinformation. Yep. yep. Now, this is the New York Times. This is the Washington Post. This was parroted on CNN, Jake Tapper. And so my question to you is, Chad, Actually, of course, it turns out, oh, no, no, not not Russian disinformation. Really? All true. Uh, Hunter's under FBI investigation uh, for all manner of misdeeds in the Ukraine and in China. So my point is, when you say, you know, when these people lie to you, you need to vote for the other guy. The media is busily at work making sure that you don't know any of this stuff. You won't even be able to determine unless you're very, very dogged in your own research, uh, which, again, depending on what it is now, let's take election fraud. Let's take that. We have now been told it has been decided by the uh, social engineers, big tech, Jack Dorsey. They all got together, the media. We are not to talk about this. It shall not be mentioned. Anyone who talks about election fraud is to be shunned. Now. That's kind of incredible, given the fact that we spent four years purveying all manner of fantasies and hallucinations about Russian collusion, and our president is actually a puppet of Vladimir Putin. No, no theory, no insane gossip speculation about Russia was too far, too much. But now... We're literally not allowed. I mean, when I say not allowed, YouTube is shutting this down. Facebook, Twitter, you're not permitted 
You're not permitted. The Ministry of Truth has declared there was no election fraud. And of course, another aspect of gaslighting here, because whether or not you believe that election fraud actually swung this election, I don't know whether it did. But to say that there was no election fraud is objectively galactically false. Yep. That is a lie. And we know it's a lie, not because I feel it in my gut or because I have a Donald Trump fathead in my bedroom. It's because we know there's a thousand affidavits, more than that, from people who have specifically said things that they saw. Now, I guess you could say, well, every one of those people was lying. Okay. We also know, and we've gone through this. We know that there were people that voted after the deadlines. We know that signatures were not matched. We know that witness requirements were not followed. We know that non-residents voted. So anyone who's telling you that this was a perfectly fraud-free election is lying. Doesn't mean, doesn't mean that Donald Trump would have won. Doesn't mean that he would have won in a landslide. What it means is that anyone who is interested in any reasonable discussion of this should be willing to concede because it's objectively true. There was a lot of questionable stuff, stuff that amounts to, by any other measure, fraud, things that were irregular, things that shouldn't have happened, things that never happened before, even the process. And isn't it, isn't it incredibly chilling in a way that everyone has just decided we must not talk about this anymore. You must shut it up. And I hear this now from people sort of even within the church, right? Uh, under this sort of, under the, the auspices of, if you talk about this, you're causing division and we should just stop, stop <laughs> fomenting strife. Now, I'm not really sure how to balance that against speaking truth. Not really sure. That doesn't mean that you fly off half-cocked and say, Donald Trump won in a landslide, the Dominion voting machines had been pre-programmed by whatever. No, but I certainly think we should have a conversation around, are our elections secure? Is mass mail balloting? Is that really the way to protect and secure individual votes? If we can't even have a conversation around that within the church because it's too divisive, I'm not really sure where we're heading. Well, I, to your point, the fact that for years we were told all the issues with Donald Trump and the months leading up the election about the concerns about he was going to have voter suppression and, and your vote wasn't getting out. And suddenly, right after the election, oh, I want to talk about it. Right there tells me, even if there wasn't fraud on a large scale, the people who won suspect there might have been. Because they don't want to talk about it, to your point. They don't want to speak about it. And I think, again, if you want a genuine election, whether your person won or not, you should want to know that it was a fair election, that the votes that were voted correctly count, and the ones that were incorrect and fraudulent should not count. You should want that system to exist, because it, if you don't have faith in what's happening you start to go off half cocked and you start to look for conspiracies and that goes down a road. You don't want to go down. These people need to know that the faith in the elections is valid. And if you don't want to have that discussion, Joe Biden's going to be the president on the 20th, barring some issue with his health. He's going to be the president on January 20th. That is a foregone conclusion. It was, it's been a foregone conclusion for weeks. It's more than likely a foregone conclusion at on the election day. 
I'm not suggesting, as Tony has said, I'm not suggesting that Donald Trump would have won if there wasn't issues. But there must have been issues if the people in charge of this do not want to speak of it, do not want to investigate it, and do not want to find out if we can make it more secure for the future because they want it to be failed. They want to be able to manipulate and rig it. Or that's the only conclusion I can come to. There might be another good reason, but I don't know what it is. And therefore, I have to assume you know something was was uh, rotten in Denmark and you don't want to expose it, whatever it was. Well, that's that's a good point. And in fact, isn't this isn't this the uh, soliloquy that we hear all the time from all the people that said, hey, listen, if Donald Trump has nothing to hide, then invite the 17 members of the Mueller Wolfpack in. Let's have the three year investigation. General Flynn, if he has anything, why would anyone who was innocent have a problem with the government poking around into their private affairs? Yeah, that'd be, that'd be crazy. But suddenly, suddenly that doesn't apply anymore. We shall not speak of it. We are not to discuss it. And you and I, if we wanted to, because I could go and find clips from a diverse cast of characters, including Joe Biden, Barack Obama, Jimmy Carter, Bill Clinton. Guess what they're all saying until as recently as maybe 24 hours ago. Mass mail balloting. It's a problem. It's not safe. It's not secure. Suddenly it's a Brinks truck. It's locked down. It's infallible. Who could possibly question it? So you're right. What are we to conclude from people who normally espouse, hey, just let the investigation play out. If you're correct, you'll be vindicated. Yet here, it's not just we don't want to have the discussion. We're going to preclude your ability to have the discussion to the point where we are cutting off information flow to make sure that nobody can talk. Gee, Chad, you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds an awful like about the way that kind of totalitarian governments function, like in China, like in Russia. So if we're emulating those countries, that's probably not a good thing, at least from my perspective. I don't know. Mine either. So maybe I put a coda to my, um, if they lie to you, don't vote for them. Don't vote for any incumbents, whoever they are. Vote for the challenger because we can't seem to get term limits on the Congress critters and I'm kind of sick and tired of them kind of pushing through their agenda and, and spending a lifetime uh, telling me they're better than me. You get one term. If you can come back after that and try to run again, but I don't vote for incumbents anymore. I don't care who yeah, you but What if they don't have a challenger? Then I then we try to make sure there is a challenger. We, we, we demand that somebody stand up there and make you defend your views. Yeah, I, well, I mean, I understand the the sentiment there, but I, I'm not going to commit to just some blindfold. Ah, oh, uh oh, the challenger was Raphael Warnock. That's not good. So I, I still I still want the ability to vet uh, who the challenger may be. But I think your point is well taken that uh, on both sides. And again, I'm I am not somebody uh, that favors campaign finance reform. That's just, that's just another way of saying we want to abridge, uh, your ability to exercise your first amendment rights because you can't have speech without money. You can't have political speech without money. 
Uh, and that's also actually the best way for incumbents to stay in office. They love campaign finance reform. Oh, you mean my challenger that has a much smaller war chest now can't actually spend any money on ads in the run-up to an election? I think that's a fabulous idea. But I agree with you that we have to do something um, about our entrenched political class, which we've talked about this. The founders never intended career professional politicians. That was not the model. Uh, you were supposed to serve. It was supposed to be a hardship, essentially, but you were to do it because it was your civic obligation. If you're called to, you do that for a season and then you leave and you return to private life. It was never supposed to be a boondoggle by which you enter public service, become fabulously wealthy somehow off the backs of the taxpayers, and that becomes essentially your fiefdom for three and four decades. Uh, that is that is a bad system. That's the system that we have now. There's no simple solution to it. My solution, of course, is, and we've I've said this many times, if you want money out of government, make the government much smaller and much less powerful. The solution is not to tell people you can't actually spend money on speech. The solution is to make the money that they're spending not worthwhile because the government doesn't have enough power to actually do favors and engage in graft and dispense pork because if people know their money's not going to get them what they want, as in the Clinton Foundation, there's a perfect microcosm. Guess what? When Hillary Clinton didn't have any political power, all the money dried up. It'll work the same way with our government, but we're not heading in that direction right now. Now, pay them $5,000 a year instead of 174000 and see how many of them stick around. Well, I think, of course, then the, then the problem becomes, uh, who do you get at all? There has to be there has to be a balance, right? You pay them $5,000 a year, I'm not sure who you get. You either get the really, really wealthy people that don't care, which, by the way, is probably 70% of Congress anyway, so it doesn't anyway. matter. Yeah. Um or then you're going to get maybe like the Unabomber. I don't know. Uh, uh, yeah, I, I don't know if there's a solution, but I want to. I want to read it. We had I had a couple com, couple conversations this week from listeners. First one gave us a uh, dancing queen on Twitter said, "Nice to see your soft underbelly in the latest episode. Great show. Always enjoy the balanced, calm, and I think she meant gentle, but she said gentile discussion. I think it was gentle." That sounds like sarcasm to me. It, it might be. I'm not going to say it wasn't. I, uh, I think that's sarcasm. I, I also had a conversation with one of our listeners who happens to be a Penn State fan who uh, just wanted to razz me some more about uh, Jim Harbaugh. Um, and we agreed that college football might be not as awesome as it could be since there's apparently only three or four jobs in the country and three or four teams in the country who have any legitimate shot of uh, playing for a national championship and everything else is just kind of all the wayside. We'll see. Um, and those three teams are Notre Dame, Penn state and Michigan, correct? And Ohio state. No, no, no. I wish, I wish, uh, no, my, my two teams, Alabama. Can, can we also, before we go, can we also now make the rule? Can we have the rule that Notre Dame is just simply not allowed to be in the, uh, the playoff just cannot. Well, I, I think unless you join a conference, you don't get to ha you don't get to be. Well, I don't care if they're in a conference or not. Like they oh. can they can go twelve and zero, and then they're going to show up and be obliterated. So yeah. we've seen that movie enough. I know it's not really fair because it's a new team, but I don't care. They they're out. Like there's a there's a permanent ban. I just can't stand to watch 
Notre Dame play another game against an Alabama or an SEC team, lambs to the slaughter. And, you know, they're good enough to win 10 games. They're a top 15 program. They just can't, they're just not allowed to play in the championship series anymore. Hey, I'm fine with that. I'm Can not, we make that a rule? I don't like Notre Dame, so I'm fine with that. I don't what? even have a problem with Notre Dame, but how many chances are you going to have? You, you've had enough. What is that? Five consecutive routes. I think, I think actually that they had gone through a stretch where they lost something like eight or nine consecutive bowl games. It's just, they're just not, they're not good enough. They're, they're good, but when they actually have to play elite teams, it's a disaster and we shouldn't be forced to watch that anymore. So that's my new rule. As Bill Maher would say, um, no more Notre Dame playing. I don't care if they're 18 and 0. Uh, they don't get to play in the college championship series. That's the rule. I'm fine with that. Um, I would re- be remiss if I didn't speak of that that horrendous, poor excuse for a football game last Sunday night. <laughs> <sighs> I am fire not- the fire Mike Tomlin bus is fire is is now running at full speed. Uh, twenty-eight nothing in the, After the first quarter. In the first quarter, you're down twenty-eight nothing at home. Oh uh, well, at home doesn't mean anything. Well, not right now. Against the Browns, a team you almost beat with your backups the week before in Cleveland, and you're telling me you can't you can't hold a ball, you can't snap a ball, you can't catch a ball, and you can't run a ball. And apparently you can't even catch a punt because you dropped those two. What am I missing here? Tell me, give me a reason. Now, Cam Hayward, who is a, a defensive captain, he came out th- today and said, we are not prepared for playoff games. No, duh. I, I think we could all see you weren't prepared for the playoff game because you, uh, you stunk it up. The offense coordinator is not coming back, which is good because – he stunk. The defense corner is on a year to year. He should be gone because he kind of stinks too. And yes, it's fire Mike Tomlin because Mike Tomlin is stinking up the joint. And Ben Roethlisberger, retire. Just Chad's re- Chad's headline: Everyone stinks. Well, everyone. You're dead last in rushing. Dead last in the league in rushing. You can't catch a ball. You can't apparently you can't snap a ball from an all pro center to a two time Super Bowl champion quarterback in shotgun, which he plays in all the time. When's the last time you saw Ben Roethlisberger under center? Well, the other thing is, and look, Pouncey's really good. Um, apparently not on Sunday. Ben is what six five? Yeah, he snapped it over Ben's head. Yeah, that's pretty. That is pretty hard to do in the shotgun. Think about that. <laughs> He's seven yards back in the shotgun and overshot him on the first play of the game. Well, there's there's a lot of adrenaline. Here's the thing, though, when it's almost as if like that should be impossible because the ball positioning in terms of the trajectory, like I could see you snap it too hard, right, or you snap it to the side. But in order for the ball to go over his head, it's almost like you would have had to position it in a completely different way, like completely vertical as you're like shoot, you know, you're, you're firing like a mortar shell over his head. It's just very bizarre. That was very bizarre. Uh, my, my father tweeted me, I tweeted me, texted me, said, 
I think they must have bet against themselves in this game. That's the only reason that could be this poorly played. And it, and again, Connor and Roethlisberger have the ball to themselves and can't seem to fall on it. It goes into the end zone and gets a touchdown for the Browns. Just fall on the ball. I, here's the thing. You and I had texted about this. Oh. Um, I really did enjoy Ben's stat line, though, because it's almost impossible. It's like some kind of score from a Madden game. He threw a combined eight interceptions and touchdowns. He threw four touchdowns and four interceptions. In most games, you don't have enough offensive possessions to even do that. I think he threw the ball over 60 times, didn't he? Like yeah. 65 times? 66 times. 66 times. His previous was 66. And the best part, in a game that they had never had a chance to win. I know they, I think at one point they had gotten within like 12 points in the second half, but then Cleveland scored right again. So he threw for the second most yards in NFL playoff history. Now, you know this because we, who, who is the number one, Chad? Tom Brady. Tom Brady against the Eagles, in a, and by the way, in a losing effort in the Super Bowl, Tom Brady threw for 505 yards. Ben threw for 501 yards on 66 attempts, the most useless and meaningless just bonanza of statistics that have yeah. ever happened in a playoff football game. It's incredible. It, it is incredible. And I, he's obviously hurt, but he's, I, I, I just don't understand how he gave you the best chance to win. I mean, the first, first snap of the game, he looked like a, he looked like his Walker wasn't working right. He forgot to put the little tennis balls on the end and he was stumbling around back there. I, I'm I'm at a loss to say this is literally the team you played twice this year and one time was last week and you still don't know how to play them. So the Steelers started, they started the season 11 and 0, they finished 12 and 4, right? So they won they went 1 and 4 down the stretch, they actually beat the Colts and then they show up in the playoff game against Cleveland and they're down 28 nothing in the first quarter and the game is over. So definitely Things kind of went off the rails there uh, mm -hmm. in the last, what, quarter of the season. And so, therefore, as Chad would summarize, everyone stinks and must be fired. Well, see, you're, you're, you're characterizing it as just this season. And I would contend that there has been talent on both sides of the ball for a decade, sometimes better than others, but talent on both sides of the ball and Tomlin's teams, and he's the head coach, so you get the blame and the credit, whether you like it or not. They have underperformed for the talent. Now, offensively, talent on this year's team, I, I don't think Connor's a top 20 back, even when healthy. So I don't think they had a lot in Snell and, you know, they're, they're not great running. They don't have great running backs. But the line was touted as having this great continuity and great ability to block. They aren't doing it. They aren't doing it well. Um, the defense was better this year than last year, but it still has holes, and they had some injuries. Which yeah, but their defense statistically is pretty darn good. I mean, they're definitely, they're easily a top five defense. They have the potential to be, but you can't put the defense in positions where you are 
short fields constantly because your offense is three and out. Yeah, well, that's not the defense's fault. No, it's not the defense's fault, but you put them in a position where they can't succeed, and I think that makes it harder. And then the offense is throwing, 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 and I'm sorry, but a short pass game, it's not the 80s and the West Coast offense. It, it, it need to evolve. You can't do these short passes. They don't, they're not working because the defenses, as I said before, the defenses know you can't run the ball, so they're keying on your defenders. And they have some talent. Well, they had some talent. I think with all the free agency, I wonder how much is still going to be there. That's going to be a question. I just, I, I just like your, I like the everyone stinks and must be fired. That that should the, the Rooney, the Rooney family should divest themselves of the franchise. Everyone should be fired. Um, I'm not really sure who they should hire. They could have gotten Urban Meyer apparently. Don't want Urban Meyer. Don't want Urban Meyer. They could get Jim Harbaugh. That would be awesome. Fire Mike Tomlin. Bring in Jim Harbaugh. He will solve. He no. will solve the problems. I th- I think it's my statement last week about Harbaugh. Who do you get that's better than Tomlin? And I've been saying Tomlin has been underperforming for years. So this isn't a new thing this year. I don't know who you replace him with. That's better. I'm not in that you know coach evaluation tree. Um, I honestly, I was hoping they would hire Doug Peterson as the offensive coordinator. Frankly, when he got fired by the Eagles, I thought there's a guy with some innovative techniques. Maybe he can get something out of this team. I don't know, but they're not. They're going to promote from within and hire the quarterbacks coach for reasons. Again, it's what I talked about last week about Michigan. Just because somebody's there doesn't mean they're the best fit for getting the most out of your talent. You can't just take the next person up because they happen to exist and they're there. Get the best person you can get instead of trying to get the next person available. And I, I think that's what the Steelers can. Just be glad as a Chargers fan. Just be glad they didn't <laughs> hire Anthony Lynn. Now, I, I will say, Anthony Lynn, great man, incredibly admirable guy, uh, I think a good leader. Not the guy that you want. Now, who knows? I mean, he was, he did a good job as the offensive coordinator in Buffalo. Um, so maybe I just, I don't, I, but that I could have seen that. I could have seen that higher. He's going to get hired by somebody. And I think he's, he could be a good coach. He's running backs coach. Um, I just think the, the further you promote him in terms of just kind of, he he's a very very stuck in his ways like this is how things must go not sure he's flexible enough to adapt schemes to players but i i was thinking that that could be uh that could be someone that the steelers would have brought in i think you slightly dodged a bullet there well and i'm not saying i, I think sometimes we we get over we look at their head coaching abilities and they're lacking because they're not head coaches uh, i think north turner was an innovative and good Offensive coordinator. Yeah. I think Mike McCarthy or not Mike McCarthy. Uh, you do realize, you do realize that Mike Tomlin is never getting fired, right? No, he's just gonna have to quit. He's gonna yes. have to leave. Yes. So you I just wanted I want you to resign yourself to the fact that the everyone stinks sermon um is never going to reach the desk of whatever Rooney is running that team. And by okay. the way, you cannot fire an African American head coach in the NFL after he's gone twelve and four, and he's won. I mean, has he had a losing season? No, he's had a bunch of eight and eights, but he has not a losing season. Okay, yeah. So Mike Tomlin is going to, if he wants to coach until he's seventy, 
he's going to be the Steelers head coach. So I just feel like, I feel like you should have some, remember you played the clip at the beginning from, I mean, you might need to go to a hypnotist uh, <laughs> to have them make you feel better about the fact that Mike Tomlin is going to be your permanent coach. Well, here's how you, here's where you're wrong. Because when Ben does retire, whenever that is, the uh, unless they look into some amazing free agent, which is doubtful, or they draft something phenomenal that they didn't even realize was that good, they're going to have maybe Mason Rudolph as their starting quarterback. They're not going to go 12 and 4 with Mason Rudolph. They're probably not even no. going to go 8 and 8 with Mason Rudolph under center most of the season. So, so what are you are you hoping for an immolation that will then justify Tomlin getting fired? No, I don't want anybody to get fired. I don't want somebody to fail just to fail. I, I just know that there's 32 starting quarterback jobs in the NFL and aren't 32 starting quarterbacks available on the planet to play that position. So the likelihood that the Steelers will have somebody after Ben Tomlin or Ben, oh, ben Tom Ben Roethlisberger who can perform at a high level is unlikely. Uh, so the fact that you don't have anybody waiting in the wings, who's a, who's considered a generational talent tells me they're not getting anybody. They're getting the 24th pick this year. They're not getting any Carson Wentz, Carson Wentz in the steel city. Well, I thought of Carson Wentz. I thought of Deshaun Watson. I thought of even Sam. Okay, Deshaun Watson's going nowhere. Well, um, I think actually Carson Wentz could be an intriguing fit for the Steelers. Yeah, but they just hired Salah from 49ers. That may that may give him a stay of execution if he has any confidence left at all. I don't know. We'll see. I it he could wouldn't have to change from Wensylvania. It'd still be Wensylvania, right? Yeah, exactly. Western Wensylvania. He's 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 definitely a guy that would uh he'd embrace the Steeler Nation yeah. kind of ethos. Yeah, we'll see. I, I don't know what's going to happen there, but it, I, 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 there needs to be some changes, and there have been four coaches that are, are leaving. Uh, we'll see if it's enough to make a difference. I have my doubts because I still think there's a lack of there's a lack of preparation, whether it comes from the top or not. There's still a lack of preparation on that team, and you can't you can't fall your way into success. You actually have to earn it. Just remember, the concluding analysis is everyone stinks. Uh, yes. Well, at the end of the season. There's going to be one team that's going to be a Super Bowl champion and 31 who aren't. So by that analogy, yes, everybody. They all stink. They all stink enough to not win. So if you didn't win, you, you stink. But the Steelers stink more than others. Hey, one in five in the last six games they played. Unforgivable. I wouldn't say that's an all. Stench. Awesome. The stench is overwhelming my nostrils. Yes, that is how it works here. Uh, I, I'm very unrealistic in my expectations. Therefore, <laughs> I can't be winning this. You have anything else to add tonight, Tony? No, we've we've gone on way too long. We actually bookended sports at the beginning and the end, which is yeah, can't help you it. Know, certain yeah. listeners are not going to like that, but that's all right. They've cut out 30 minutes ago anyway. That's fair. That's fair. So thank you for joining us. I'm Chad. I'm Tony. Good night. <laughs> This has been a Hannah Tree production.